BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Hello, everybody. It's Ben Jarofsky. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Let's see. As I speak, Thursday, July 1st, 2021. Man, July 1st. Good God. Here's the headlines in today's bright one, and I'm, I'm all pumped to talk about this, and I know my guest is as well. Quote, Lightfoot's troubles grow as jobs power dwindles. It's an analysis by longtime City Hall reporter France Billman, uh, in which he quotes longtime Chicago Alderman Patrick O'Connor about the trials and tribulations that uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot is currently facing. Without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself so we can Take the deep dive on this subject, because I know my distinguished guest has a lot to say about it. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hi, this is Delmarie Cobb, and a friend of mine said what he liked best from your introduction was when you called me veteran uh, political consultant. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Veteran means you're you're smart and wise. Oh, good. I like that, You just want a friend for life. And young at heart. <laughs> um, so, all right, uh, Delmarie Cobb. Everybody knows Delmarie, a political strategist, political consultant, worked for Jesse Lewis Jackson, worked for uh, Hillary Clinton. I'm going to uh, withstand the temptation to go into another conversation about how Bill Clinton is a dirty dog that's hurt the, Hillary Clinton's career. Delmarie, I'm not going to go there. We're going to keep it local, all right? Um <laughs> But uh, so Lori Lightfoot, what a what a week for uh, Lori Lightfoot. And and folks, this all began, as everyone knows, when Lori uh, Lightfoot got upset with Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor and then felt compelled to leave uh, the rostrum, leave the podium in the city council, walk down to the council floor and confront uh, Jeanette Taylor, wag her finger in her face, publicly chastise her like, Jeanette Taylor is an employee of Lori Lightfoot as opposed to her colleague, an older woman in the Chicago City Council. Uh, And uh, there's some issues as to whether Lori Lightfoot 
Uh, his temperament is getting in her way. Uh, as mayor, she's too thin-skinned. Uh, if she's incapable of handling criticism, uh, and if she's flat out a bully, which is what Jeanette Taylor had to say about the matter when she was on my show last week. So, Delmarie, we'll start with your general thoughts about what uh, uh, Lori Lightfoot did in regards to Jeanette Taylor and what does it mean for Chicago politics? Well, I think everybody thought that it was a spectacle, her stepping down from the podium, the mayor stepping down from the podium to the city council floor and pointing to an alder person and basically saying, meet me in the back alley. <laughs> in this case, the back of the room, but it may as well have been the back alley. Um, and you just don't do that. I mean, as the mayor, you have to understand your power and your power is standing at that podium and you don't cede your power to anybody. And it's, uh, and, and so the idea that she did that, just the optics, it's like, what are you trying to prove? I mean, what, what was that about? And as I jokingly have said, the mayor is from masculine Ohio and Jeanette Taylor is from Chicago. Sister girl, <laughs> there is no way in the world Lori Lightfoot is going to intimidate Jeanette Taylor. Jeanette Taylor is not only from Chicago, she's from the south side of Chicago. Uh, she got her start politically at Amalison Elementary School, where she served on the local school council, which is not far from where Adele Marie Cobb has lived most of her life. In other words, we're talking about two Southsiders. Right. <laughs> and uh, Del Marie Cobb and uh, Jeanette Taylor, not Lori Lightfoot. And as I uh, said, we have to learn how to operate from the Gold Coast to the Ivory Coast. <laughs> so, so we have to operate in both worlds. And... Lori Lightfoot stepped out of her world into Jeanette's world for a minute. Well, Lori Lightfoot has since, uh, Jeanette Taylor has uh, publicly requested that uh, Lori Lightfoot apologize. She, she did that when she came on my show. She's done it elsewhere as well. And she says that she thinks that Lori Lightfoot should apologize just as publicly and just as loudly uh, as she chastised her. Uh, Lori Lightfoot has shown no inclination whatsoever to apologize to Jeanette Taylor. In fact, uh, she went on Phil Ponce's show yesterday uh, and said, and I'm paraphrasing, that uh, the issues that people have with her temperament as mayor are based 99% on the fact that she's a black woman uh, and that they didn't have these same problems uh, with the temperaments of white mayors, such as Rahm Emanuel and Mayor Daley. I got my uh, thoughts on that, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. So what's your reaction to uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot's comments to Phil Ponce? Well, if that's the case, um, you knew that going in. That's not anything new. So you act accordingly. So why are you going to give them ammunition to use against you? Why are you acting as though you're thin-skinned? Why are you acting as though you, you know, can't take a punch without uh, punching back. You've got to prove yourself that you're just as tough. I mean, there are certain things, if you look at what Harold Washington did, um, Lori's not going through near what Harold Washington went through in terms of the, uh, the Badoli Act 29. And this was every day of his life. 
And as my mother said, imagine every day you wake up and your feet hit the floor, you know you got to fight every day of your life and a real fight. And he never caved in. He took the high road. And yes, he, you know, they met their match, but he did it in a way that made them look bad, not him look bad. No, that's a great uh, uh, comparison. and, and and youngsters, there's no way of comparing what any mayor has had to go through with what Mayor Harold Washington did. Because as the uh, first black mayor of the city of Chicago, any, any suggestion that, I don't know, like a sports team would leave Chicago or a business would leave Chicago was like this existential crisis. Delmarie, where Harold Washington had to prove to all of white America that he too could run the city of Chicago. And it wasn't like, as Mike Royko said, the Sears Tower is going to jump into the lake. Do you you follow me? I mean, it was like he had to prove something every day that no white mayor has ever had to confront. That's my opinion. What's your opinion? No, that's exactly right. And and, and the reason he won re-election is because He convinced the downtown business sector that, in fact, he could run the city and it was in capable hands because they were the main people who didn't want him to be mayor. And then when they found out, oh, my God, he's not going to destroy the city. He, in fact, is doing great things. They then came on board with him. But he had to prove that every day he was mayor and fight every day with the people who were in the city council because they had made it their goal from the very beginning, from day one, that he wasn't going to have any legislative successes whatsoever because they did not want him to be reelected. And as much like what Mitch McConnell did to Barack Obama when he declared we're going to keep him from being reelected. He's not going to have any successes. So it was that same kind of we're going to draw a line in the sand from day one and every day he's going to any success he has. It will be hard fought. Yes. Uh, and they were trying to sabotage his administration in order, in order, in order to uh, defeat him in 1987 and was unsuccessful. I am now going to give uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot the benefit of the doubt. And I'll get your response to this. But thinking about her comments uh, that she made uh, to Phil Ponce about uh, being that 99% of the issues that many people have with her temperament have to do that is that her uh, temperament uh, comes from a a black woman. So I got issues with that because, number one, the problem is the temperament, not the person who has the temperament. The issue is whether you're a bully or not. and whether you're just imposing raw power on other people because you can. So the issue is your temperament. But I think she has a very good point, Delmarie, when she says this was not an issue with white mayors. Rahm Emanuel like, took pride in his reputation for being a mean, nasty SOB, a vindictive SOB. That was his calling card. Uh, Mayor Richard M. Daly, Baby Daly, as I like to call him, would get all red in the face and start when he loses temper. He had that 
volatile temple, very similar to Lori Lightfoot, I would say. And it just seems as though so many of the editorial writers in this town and uh, just the corporate types in this town viewed that as a strength. Like, well, that's the sign of a strong leader. And Chicago needs that kind of firm, strong leadership from its mayor because that's how you run a city and keep Chicago from being Detroit. That was kind of like the attitude that so many powerful corporate types and editorial types had. And uh, so now when Lori does it, she's saying they criticize her temperament. I concede she has a point there. Do you think she has a point uh, there, Delmarie, or do you think I'm just being too nice to Lori Lightfoot? No, she absolutely has a point, but that actually has something to do with being a woman, period. Uh, whether she is a black woman or a white woman, uh, that has something to be, that has to do with being a woman. Because, and then when you add on to that, you're a black woman. Yes, it's a, it's a double jeopardy. Uh, everything you're doing is going to be looked at through both lenses. Um, I mean, even if you look at uh, when they were running for mayor, she and Tony Pretwinkle were running for mayor, all of a sudden, Tony had too much power. Tony needed to step down from the Cook County Democratic Party chair because she had too much power just in case she was going to run win the, uh, the mayor's race. But nobody ever said that about Daly. They didn't have too much power. So we know there's a double standard. But there's also, I would say, that 99% of what has happened has not just been because she's black and a woman, but also has been self-inflicted. Can you give me some examples of self-inflicted uh, difficulties? Well, just look at the DuSable Lakeshore Drive uh, controversy. You know, you now talk about all the things we have going on in the city, the carjackings, the crime, the violence, the killings. Why are we spending so much time on the naming of a road? Well, who made that a big deal? David Moore didn't make that a big deal. The, the, the alderman who sponsored it, she made it a big deal. When all of a sudden it was no, when she resisted, when she pushed back, when she talked about we can't market the city if we lose the name Lakeshore Drive, it's iconic. People all over the world talk to me about Lakeshore Drive. Now, I'm fairly well traveled. And I've never had one person ever talk to me about Lakeshore Drive. When I say I'm from Chicago, they talk to me about Michael Jordan. They talk to me about Al Capone. And they talk to me about the killings. But I have never had anyone say, oh, Chicago, Lakeshore Drive. And so she's the one who blew that out of proportion and then decided I'm going to throw everything at David Moore, including the kitchen sink to get him to change his mind. I'm going to give him the park that's been sitting there since 1987. Uh, I'm going to give him the river walk. I'm going to give you a festival. I'm going to do all these things for $40 million so that we won't spend $833,000 on naming Lakeshore Drive. So she made that a big deal. And it's those kinds of things that are unnecessary with all the other things that are going on why did she elevate that to the level that she did and did all the parliamentary maneuvering that she did in order to stop it? So she, she's got to take responsibility 
for what she contributes to some of this controversy. By the way, there's no truth to the rumors that the sirens that you heard in the background are Lori Lightfoot dispatching police to arrest Delmarie Cobb. That's just a nasty rumor that I made up. Uh, Delmarie, uh, you uh, triggered a bunch of memories uh, when you uh, went back to uh, recall what went down at that city council meeting. We've talked a lot about it on the show. We've played, played clips of it. I'll, I'll review it one more time because it's very illustrative. Uh, and so at, the, at a moment when uh, at a city council meeting a couple meetings ago where Alderman David Moore and Alderwoman uh, Sophia King were poised to bring for a roll call vote the matter of changing uh, the Lakeshore Drive to DeSable Drive, the Outer Drive to, to DeSable Drive. They thought they had the votes to pass it. And this, um, Sophia King, the alderwoman of the fourth war, raised her hand to be uh, to have speaking privileges. And in our strange system of government, the mayor is the presiding officer over the city council. But instead of uh, picking uh, Sophia King to speak, she picked Brian Hopkins, who's sort of her aldermanic sidekick from the north side, uh, who moved to defer and publish. And um, it was just a blatantly... <laughs> I, I likened it to a, a baseball pitcher who puts uh, a foreign substance on a baseball. It's cheating, okay? And uh, if Michael Joseph Madigan had pulled a stunt like that in the state house, the tribute would be going berserk. The Republicans would be going berserk. Good government types would be going berserk. It was cheating to avoid uh, the uh, that roll call vote. Instead, they deferred and published it. Now, when I've mentioned this to other guests, they say, well, she had to do that, Ben, because she didn't have the votes to uh, to defeat it, and she would have had to veto it, and that would have been a sign of weakness. Now, here's my problem. I'll get your response. Part of the problem in the city of Chicago is that it's viewed as a sign of weakness that a mayor does not have the command over the city council, as opposed to having respectful discourse between two separate bodies of government, legislative and executive. And whenever I say that, people go, oh, Ben, you're so naive. That's not the way the world works. I go, that's the way our freaking constitution was written. It's not like I made it up, Delmarie. Okay, right? We have separation of powers. What is it about the city of Chicago, Delmarie Cobb? Please explain this to me. Where a mayor looks weak if he or she has to veto legislation. By the way, I don't think David Moore and Sophia King can overrode the veto so they would have had to do something like negotiate a deal. So why is it considered weak in Chicago if a mayor has to veto legislation? Please explain that. No, I agree 100%. And what, and what I said to uh, other reporters that I talked to who immediately wanted to talk about council wars, and I said, this has nothing to do with council wars. I actually like what happened because it shows transparency and debate, which is what we should have in government. We should have open debate. I mean, one one of the things that you had under Daly and Rahm Emanuel that I couldn't stand was the fact that everything was done in committee. I would have Alderman tell me, oh, well, we had debate in committee. And so when we come to the council floor and take the vote, we've already had the debate. So that's why we vote for it. I said, but it looks like you're a rubber stamp. Do you understand that? It looks like you're a rubber stamp. But then when you press them, for instance, on the parking meter deal, when I talked to those same aldermen, and they said, well, it, it sounded good when they told it to us. 
I'm like, when did it sound good? It never <laughs> sounded good. <laughs> At what point? <laughs> and so that just goes to show you that there is no debate in the committee meetings. And so I'm glad we're seeing what we're seeing because, as you said, the Constitution was set up that it was supposed to be weak mayor, strong city council. As you said, Lori Lightfoot is the presiding officer. She does not have a vote. So is weak mayor, strong city council. And Daly had to veto when we did the when we did the uh, fight against Walmart coming, he had to veto, and he didn't look weak. We weren't happy, but he wound up having to use his veto powers. So there's nothing wrong with that, except the fact it wouldn't have made her weak. What it would have made her is a target, because then she would have been the one to defeat the name change. So how do you think this all plays out politically? Uh, particularly among black voters. Uh, do you think it's too early? People aren't paying attention anyway? Or do you think people are starting to compile a list of uh, grievances against Lori Lightfoot? Well, I think people are starting to compile lists. I mean, even people who were in her corner. I mean, uh, Hermine Hartman wrote a column the other day um, saying that Lori Lightfoot does need to apologize to Jeanette Taylor. And I know that Hermine Hartman was in Lori Lightfoot's corner. And she says it in her column that she was in her corner. Uh, but she's now beginning to second guess uh, her support. And other people are beginning to second guess their support. Now, is it whole cloth? No, I don't think it's whole cloth yet. But if it keeps on in terms of all the other problems that the city has in terms of the violence and things... And of course, those same aldermen who she's friends with, uh, who did the defer and publish, uh, <laughs> they are always talking about their constituents getting ready to leave the city because of the violence. Now, Black people have been living with this violence for all these years as a result of disinvestment. 250,000 Black people have left the city of Chicago in 20 years, but oh, heaven forbid, we have some Gold Coast residents who decide they can't take it anymore. Uh, some people would say uh, the 250,000 black people left the city was the end result of a policy to do just that. I think uh, Chris Kennedy made that point when he was running for uh, governor uh, in the Democratic primary in 2018. He was immediately chastised by pretty much everybody in the city of Chicago, except for me. And what uh, people don't understand is that those were the people who could leave. So that's the part that's important here. It was those are the people who could leave, who had the wherewithal and the resources to leave and go somewhere else. And those are the very people that you want to keep in a city so that you have a thriving economic mix. Um, let me move back to the whole issue of mayoral power. Uh, as I said before, earlier, there was an article uh, in today's Sun-Times uh, by Fran Spielman. It was an analysis, it's not a news article, so it's sort of like a column. Uh, and in the article, she, or in that column, she interviewed former alderman Pat O'Connor of the 40th Ward, who was defeated in the 2019 election. The guy served, I forget, he, since 1983, Patrick O'Connor has been the alderman of the 40th Ward. Delmarie, 
Uh, he was a rookie in 1983 from a north side ward. He could have gone with Fredoliak. He could have gone with Washington. He went with Fredoliak. All right, I'm just, just giving you that as little indication of Patrick O'Connor. Uh, here's the quote, one of the, the pullout quote and the bright one, and get your reaction to this. If the trend continues, there will be a period of the mayor being scapegoated for things that they're no longer really responsible for or in charge of. It's going to be a very difficult for anybody that is the mayor, says Patrick O'Connor, former Eddie Verdoliak ally and former alderman of the 40th Ward. His notion is that if we don't have an all-powerful mayor who tells the council what to do and then gets the council to act like uh, a rubber stamp, we are in great danger of the city falling apart and nobody would want to be mayor because they wouldn't have all the power that an emperor has. That's sort of Patrick O'Connor's view of the world. Uh, what's your view of Patrick O'Connor's view of the world, Delmarie Cobb? Well, that was his view of the world when he was in the city council. He was the enforcer. Um, he had he was the person that they designated to make sure that everybody was whipped into shape and that they got 50 votes. Uh, so he was the enforcer. So that's his view of the world. That's not my view of the world. <laughs> Do you think it makes for a healthy city to have a, a mayor with dictatorial control over the legislative body? Well, all you have to do is look at the city and see, does it make for a good city, make for a world-class city, make for a city that is for everybody? Obviously not. Uh, it's fine. It works fine for those who are the chosen few, but for those who aren't the chosen few, uh, all you have to do is look at the rest of the city and that speaks for itself. And what about his notion, which uh, I'm going to stay with a straight face, uh, that nobody will want to run for mayor uh, if they don't have dictatorial powers or if in this position, like we have an elected school board, so they can't uh, just unilaterally name the uh, school superintendent or a police oversight board. So uh, they may have to work in conjunction with citizens on naming the superintendent. Do you uh, agree with Pat O'Connor that nobody will want to run the city uh, because they'll have too much responsibility without uh, it's too much accountability without any uh, power? So we would, wouldn't have had 50 schools closed in mostly black and brown communities if we'd had an elected school board. Um, so I can't imagine that Chicago will ever have a problem having mayoral candidates. This is Chicago. And so the, the notion that nobody will want to be the mayor of Chicago, what a joke. <laughs> Del Marie, I was laughing out loud when I read that thing. I go, that is that is the dumbest thing. I, Pat O'Connor's probably as old as I am, but if someone told Pat O'Connor that he could be the next mayor of Chicago, I guarantee you he'd throw his hat in the ring. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> the notion that politicians in Chicago won't want to be to have the the title of mayor is so bizarre. Just, you know, it's funny. New York has oversight that Chicago doesn't have. They had 14 people running to replace de Blasio in this last election. 14 people, Del Marie. I didn't see, you know what I mean? That like, I didn't see it. That's just on the democratic side. I'm not even talking about the Republicans. I think there's a green party candidate as well. 
So it is, yeah, the notion that there's not going to be ambitious politicians in the city of Chicago anymore is pretty far-fetched. But again, you know, those are scare tactics. And and that's what this is all about, is the fear-mongering. And that's what keeps happening in the city. I mean, that's what Lori was doing when she was talking about uh, Lakeshore Drive and uh, uh, Brian Hopkins and Brendan Riley and all that's all and all of them that that's what they know that's all they know they don't know anything about how to build a city collectively for everybody so that everybody thrives and not just some people thrive and everybody else tries to survive so no you know what he says i could care less i am so happy that he got defeated because it was a sea change even though it was only a few it still was a sea change because it sent a, a message to all of those who just went along, go along to get along, who took their marching orders, who never had a, an original thought of their own. It was your time is up. And unfortunately, it didn't happen to enough of them. By the way, before I leave uh, this conversation, I just want to point something out. Uh, uh, one of Delmarie's uh, clients ran against Jeanette Taylor in 2019. So Delmarie is not even on Jeanette Taylor's team. Uh, just have to point that out, uh, Delmarie. So it's not like you're, uh, an, uh, an advocate for Jeanette Taylor. You're just calling as you see it in this particular instance. Uh, so point of right. clarification and I there. just happened to be lucky enough, just happened to be lucky enough that my client was the other progressive in the race. <laughs> so that was a case of 14 people running in the, in the, in, uh, for Alderman. And those were the two left standing. So, you know, it was to lose to her was okay. <laughs> yeah. And no, and then we brought you a little, right before the, uh, the pandemic, uh, Delmarie was uh, shared a stage with Jeanette, uh, at the promontory. It was a, a wonderful event. And, uh, I believe we should, we have a, a recording of that event on, uh, our podcast. If you ever want to uh, check it out. And about a week later, everything shut down. It was like the last thing before, uh, the pandemic hit. All right, let's uh, leave Chicago for a moment and um, talk about New York uh, and get your thoughts on what went down in New York. Now, they have a, uh, a ranked voting system, so the final results are, won't be in for another two or three weeks, and they stumbled a bit uh, at the outset. Delmarie, oh God, they, you don't even want to know how. They counted dummy ballots that shouldn't have been counted, and that, now they extricate them from the count, and so... They took a convoluted system and made it more convoluted. But Eric Adams uh, was the uh, leader in the first round, a police officer, uh, running on a bit of a law and order campaign, a black man, and he won a majority of the black vote in New York. Uh, what's your general thoughts about uh, the campaign he ran, his support, the support he had among black New Yorkers, and what it says where the, about where the country is right now on the issue of crime? that's why that whole issue is very complicated and you know it can't be reduced to a slogan um because i also lived through the 90s and the crack cocaine epidemic and the fact that and i tell young people this that it was black people who wanted the crime bill passed it was black people who the reason they supported the crime bill is because in the crime bill was 100,000 new police on the streets. 
and it was our community that was under siege. And it was, uh, and so what we have today, fast forward, what we have today, we've all become numb to the crime. But back then, in the 90s, black communities had never seen that. We had never seen people being killed and dying and, and the gang wars and things like that. We had never seen that. Because in our co communities, there was family, and that meant everything. And so we were like, this has to stop. Whatever it takes to stop it, we got to stop it. And so that's why Black people supported the crime bill. It's why the majority of the Congressional Black Caucus supported the crime bill. But then you fast forward to today, and we're saying not fund the crime bill. We're talking about defund the crime bill. So, you know, I mean, it's, a, it's very different. But when you look at the communities that are under siege, who have to think about even going out and sitting on their porch, who can't even go outside and play, who can't ride their bikes, who can't go to the store, corner store and get ice cream, who can't sleep in their beds without a bullet, bullet whizzing past them or shooting them. So their view of the world is very different than hypothetically you talking about crime. Yes, we know that it, in most cases, we're looked at as it's a, you know, the justice system or just us. We understand that. But we also understand that our communities are under siege. And so when you look at why he got the support he did, that might be why he got the support he did. Would I have voted for him? No, <laughs> I wouldn't have. But I do understand the thinking behind it. Well, Delmarie, it was rank voting, so he may not have been your first choice. And I uh, forced myself as a discipline uh, to select five that I would have voted for in that race. Uh, that shows you what a political geek I am. I actually had <laughs> I had an opinion, Delmarie, about at least five candidates running for mayor in a city on the other side of the country. Okay, uh, if that's not a cry for help, I don't know what it is. Uh, so let me ask you this. Okay. He wouldn't have been your first choice, but you have five. Would he been one of your top five choices? Probably not, but I do believe in rank, uh, rank choice voting. Uh, when I first heard about it, I thought, oh, I was just blown away at the idea because I believe if there had been ranked choice voting, Roland Burrs might've been governor, uh, at one point. So I believe in ranked choice voting because I believe it would have changed the outcome of a lot of races years ago where it was all about money and about being white and people would have done it as their second choice. So, um, you know, I, no, he would not have been. And when I look at the people who were running, he probably wouldn't have been uh, or he might have been five, number five. Okay. Number five, he probably would have been my number two, and uh, and it's so weird. My f number one would have been Maya Wiley, who was the AOC candidate and the real lefty in the race. That was my number one, and that was your number one. I'm not surprised, uh, <laughs> Delmarie Cobb of the leftist persuasion, more or less. So Delmarie, putting aside 
Eric Adams himself. What was it about his message that, I don't know if turned you off is the right phrase, but that would have limited him to, at best, a number five position? What is it about the get tough and law and order message that you have, that you struggle with? Well, it's just that mentality. I mean, I, I've written about this. Is there's, a, there's a culture in the police. It's not just, um, it's not about black and white. There's the culture of being a police officer. And you can't turn that off, on and off, I don't believe. Um, and I think it, 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 it becomes ingrained. And you don't see a black person. You don't see a white person. You see them against us. And so I, there's no way I could have supported him. Um, just like in most cases, I wouldn't have supported a prosecutor. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that's sort of a veiled suggestion. uh, (laughs) Lori Lightfoot. Uh, if I know, if I could read between the tea leaves, I would say that was a veiled. I did vote for Lori Lightfoot confession. Delmarie knows it. She likes to tweet (laughs) me about it. Uh, and, uh, and I have to say this about Tony Preckwinkle, who I, uh, was really disenchanted with back in 2019. I got to say this. I, ha- I must make this, uh, you know, I'm not always right, Delmarie. <laughs> so I have to say that, first of all. Uh, it, I'm wrong about 50% of the time at least. But uh, I'm looking at uh, Tony Prequigal, and she's in the midst of a contentious labor struggle at the county with nurses uh, and SEIU dealing with technicians and uh, all kinds of jobs at the uh, Stroger Hospital. We're talking about thousands of jobs. The heat is on. Uh, Unions are protesting her. Many of the same unions that uh, sponsor my show are protesting her. And somehow or other, Delmarie, at this moment, up till now, it could change. She's not personalized this. Do you follow what I'm saying? There's a contentious labor struggle going on. I'm watching it. And I'm like, hmm, somebody, like Rom and the teachers' union, it got real personal. Uh, Lori Lightfoot and the teachers' union, it got real personal. But somehow or other, I don't know, it's it's something about, I, right now i got to give her a shout-out, Tony Perkwinkle, a shout-out, because she's avoiding the harsh, strident rhetoric that uh, all too often complicates these matters. What's your thoughts on that? No, I, I agree. That's a great observation. And and she has, you know, over the years, she's prided herself as being a labor supporter. And she's been out there marching and standing with them over the years, many diff- of the different unions. And, you know, it happens. This kind of stuff happens. And you don't necessarily mean that they're doing it because they don't like you. They're fighting for what they believe in. They're fighting for their quality of life. It's not about you. And so the idea that you internalize it and then make it about you, like, as you said, all the other previous mayors have done, that's, that's so crazy because you've got, first of all, as a leader, you're supposed to take in the big picture. You're supposed to understand everybody's side. And then you 
are supposed to be able to be big enough to bring everybody to the table to try to figure it out. And it's going to be contentious. It's not going to be, you know, we're going to all get together and have a beer and walk out and everything's going to be kumbaya. It's going to be contentious. But if at the end of it, you can shake hands and have respect and, and go and work together, that's the goal. And that's what these people forget. That's what these people forget. Yeah, it's not about you. And it's and listen, I couldn't I know I couldn't do the job. I know I'm thin skinned. <laughs> Del Marie. I know I, I know I would make a personal. I'm cut I may she rest in peace. I'm like a replica of my mom. <laughs> she held grudges for forty. Del Marie, I'm not saying it's a good way to go through life. I'm just saying it's a way that some people go through life, okay? And uh, yeah, I, I I feel that if you, a really good mayor sometimes has to have thick skin and uh, learn to move on and not take it personal. That's well put. Uh, by the way, I'm looking at this list of names that were assembled uh, in the uh, Sun-Times story. And you know uh, an incumbent mayor is sort of in hot water, uh, Delmarie, when already pundits are putting <laughs> putting together names of challengers. I remember this going back when I first moved to Chicago with Jane Byrne. You know what I mean? It was like, well, everybody knew Richie Daly was going to run, but then the issue was, who's going to run for the black community? Somebody was going to run, right? And uh, I remember we did a story uh, at The Reporter, in the old days when I worked at The Reporter, who would be the likely candidate? Uh, and so I'm just going to read the names that uh, the Sun-Times have assembled. It's not just the Sun-Times that's done. A lot of these names are common. And see if any of them uh, really uh, ring a chord with you. So here we go. Among the possible challengers are former Chicago Pool Public Schools CEO Arnie Duncan, Alderman Roderick Sawyer, Alderman Brian Hopkins, City Treasurer Melissa Conyers-Irvin, Congressman Mike Quigley, CTU Vice President Stacey Davis-Gates, and City Clerk Anna Valencia, now running for Illinois Secretary of State, which is hilarious. She's running for an office right... This is how insane Chicago is. She's running for office, a different office right now. But just in case, don't count her out. Any of those names really jump out at you? Well, I could see, in terms of people possibly doing it, I could see um, Melissa Conyers-Irving doing it um and there was um one other person you mentioned um i'm trying to think who else D you arnie duncan rod sawyer brian arnie hopkins arnie duncan and uh rod rod's name comes up every election and he's yet to do it and i don't know why his name keeps coming up because if you keep saying it and they don't do it why do you keep saying it um so I, I don't think uh, Rod Sawyer is going to do it. Uh, Brian Hopkins may be arrogant enough to think he can do it. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, again, that's somebody I wouldn't I wouldn't even go to the polls for. That'd be the first time I didn't vote. <laughs> um, and so I don't know who. Uh, I don't think Stacey Davis Gates is thinking about doing it. So I'm not sure. Well, I, I'll tell you, Melissa Conyers Irvin, I've seen her on the stump, and uh, she's got a lot of charisma. So I don't know what her policies are, uh, you know, uh, but 
she has a lot of charisma. And uh, so that would be an interesting uh, race. And, and Artie Duncan definitely has name recognition. Uh, but uh, as I said, you know, it's really early, uh, but I just got a kick out of it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> They're starting early with the, the names. Uh, all right, Delmarie, before we go, I, I have to. What's that? I said, like you said, that's a sign. <laughs> yeah, it's a sign. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, just close with this uh, front page. The other article on the front page of the Sun-Times, you must have enjoyed this. Ida B. Wells, light burns bright in Bronzeville. The light of truth, a monument to Ida B. Wells, is unveiled Wednesday morning in Bronzeville. A story in the Sun-Times with a picture uh, of the uh, statue. And uh, you you have an affinity and an affiliation with Ida B. Wells. Why don't you tell folks about that? Uh, well, we have the Ida B. Wells Legacy Committee, which is a PAC, Political Action Committee. And like everybody else, we didn't do anything. Our last event was December 2019, as a matter of fact. We had a breakfast where we brought in Karen Finney. And we are getting ready to have our first event in person. And, uh, and on August 19th, we're bringing in uh, Yvette Simpson, the CEO of Democracy for America. Uh, for our next event. And uh, so we're looking forward to that. And I will definitely send out information to you and, and everybody else who's interested, but they can also go to the website, which is www.idaslegacy.com. And um, we're looking forward to seeing people again in person and also disseminating some great progressive information. Oh, that'll be a great show. Yvette Simpson is uh, outstanding. So, uh, yeah, so definitely have you back to promote that uh, and talk about that as well. So, uh, anyway, Delmarie Cobb, thank you very much for taking the time. Appreciate talking to you as always. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's great, Delmarie Cobb. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.